Well, hey, everybody. What a, great, uh, what a great worship service we've had so far. That has been a blessing. And all these men singing in our church and women. Isn't that great? And a blessing? Am I the only one happy about that? Make some noise, Baptist people. So what a great group for Labor Day weekend. I always like to kid around and say, good to see everybody here who doesn't have a cabin up north. And uh, we, uh, what, a, what a thrilling thing to see, though. What a, what, a, what a wonderful bunch. And I've been praying for you this week, and I hope that you've been praying for me, too. Some really interesting things. Craig, do we launch Awana this week? Am I right? The week after. So leaders training for Awana, and, so, and then the, the official launch the next, next, uh, the next Wednesday. So um, I wanna, we're going to pray about that, uh, that launch that's important. And we need workers for the bus, right? So remember that. Yeah, helpers for the bus. If you want to serve in a simple way, loving on kids, show up a little bit early on, let Craig know. That's burdening him. And so um, that'd be a great thing to do. Also, you know, we homeschooled our kids. That's why they're so bright and precocious um, and humble. Uh, and uh, we, we homeschool our kids. Uh, but but I was, I've been burdened about uh, some of you. How many of you are... Uh, work in the, in the school system, public or charter school, stand up right now. If you work in a public school system or charter school, or stand up, stand up and stay up. All right, please, stand up and stay up. All right, because I want to pray a prayer blessing on you because you're headed back to school and you represent Jesus, and this is a big deal. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to you for the children that you've given to us. What a blessing to have children. It's one of the sweetest things in our lives. And all we want to do is teach them about you so that they will love you, so that they will walk with you. And these are some of our choice servants, your choice servants here at Evangel, those that work in the public school system or the charter schools or whatever. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them in this very, very critical place of mission. And that, that as they start their new school year and all the little ones gather in with their hair all slicked over in their lunchbox and, and their, their fresh anticipation of a new school year, that they would remember these teachers and aides and helpers as, and, and counselors as the ones who really loved them and who really cared about them. Bless them. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Be seated. Well, I have a little gout attack going on here. Um, Charles Spurgeon and I have this in common. It's one of the only things we have in common. Spurgeon uh, had a very serious case of gout. He started getting it when he was 35 years old. And he was once approached by a man who had, uh, had a painful rheumatism. And the fellow said his rheumatism was probably more painful than Spurgeon's gout. But Spurgeon said, well, let me describe the difference between rheumatism and gout. He goes, you know, imagine putting your finger in a vice and tightening it as far as you can. That's rheumatism. Tighten it three more times, that's gout. That's what he said. So it's been a really hard week. I tell you, I can't think when I have it. Uh, I can't even read. I can't think. But I, it's what, I noticed this on the way in this morning. The crazy thing is I pray better, though. And uh, so anyway, I, I didn't think when I wrote this message, but I prayed a lot. Just kidding. Uh, but uh, now, something happened yesterday. And I don't have a watch here, so I'll just quit when I'm done, I guess, unless somebody wants to give me a nice watch right now. Um, so anyway, so I, but this week something happened, you know, I was in my chair and I'm like so bummed about that. And Chuck came here to the church to practice and Lois says, Ken, you got to look at the, at what Cecilia just posted. So okay, if I embarrass you, 
could. Um, and, and she just, she was here in the auditorium and looking forward to her wedding day, which is going to be right here on Thanksgiving Eve. And she posted the sweetest thing. And my heart just loved her so much when I read that. And I just thought, what a perfect answer to prayer you are for a daughter-in-law to marry our Chuck. And I looked over, and I, that must be your, your older brother and your, and your sister there with you. Your mom and dad. And this is the first we've met. And I, I prayed about you last night. I thought about you guys last night. I was looking forward to meeting you. I am so glad you're here today. You should really be proud of your girl. I'm sure you are. And Miss Layla. Yeah. So, well, this is a good day, isn't it? So we've got a lot to do here today because I'm just going to explain the book of Revelation today. How's that? I'm not going to explain every little tiny part of it, but the big picture, I am. One of the things I think that we make a mistake with this wonderful last book of the Bible is we just think it's unexplainable. We think it's ununderstandable. Well, that's not true. Jesus wouldn't give us a book and say, I want, I'm going to bless you if you read this out loud, and I'm going to bless you if you obey this book and make it completely impossible to understand. And Robbie Harold is here with <laughs> Jacqueline. I'm sorry, I'm just having an old home week. Uh, son from a return from a far country, and uh, good to have you too. So back to Revelation, if you don't mind. So, so um, this is not the way we normally do, but so Revelation is the last book of the Bible, and it is a fascinating book filled with symbolism that really does at first when you read it think, wow. How am I going to understand all of this? But even a child, if you were to read this beautiful, beautiful book out loud, even a child would see the main point of the revelation. And so I want to do this. And, you know, no kidding, this is weird, but if somebody would give me a watch right now, I I do want to be sensitive just to give me a, yeah. Notice I said give me, so once you give it to me, it belongs to me. Now, oh, can I have your phone? No, yeah. Very good. Very good. What's this message about Kate here? What's that? Uh. <laughs> Do you think the pastor will ever stop talking so we can go to lunch? That's what it says. Okay, good. i got 20 minutes left. All right. Anyway, so give me the 10 after today, and we're going to roll through Revelation here in 30 minutes. Deal? 10 after? Seriously? Okay. Not going to meet tonight, so look at it like that. Credit. I should get credit. Um, I think I need to pray because I'm too breezy right now. I need to get serious about the Bible. So let me pray. Father in heaven now, we want to get serious about your word. <laughs> we love your word. We love this book. We love this, this part of this book. It's so beautiful. And I pray that today as we explain it, that it will just embed itself in the hearts of the people that have come today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Revelation begins with John, the last living apostle, and an old man. He's in exile on a small barren island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, uh, southwest of Ephesus. The Roman authorities have banished him to this island um, because, according to chapter 1 and verse 9, because of the testimony of Jesus Christ, because of the preaching of the gospel. And while on Patmos, John receives a series of visions that lay out the future history of the world. So we got an interesting book. When, when John was arrested, he was in Ephesus, ministering to the church there and to the churches in the surrounding cities, seeking to strengthen those congregations. He couldn't any longer minister to them personally, obviously. So in, in following the divine command, chapter 1, verse 11, John addresses this book to them, the revelation to them. 
The churches, they had begun to feel the effects of persecution at this time. At least one man, probably a pastor, had been martyred. That's in chapter 2 and verse 13. John himself now, he's been exiled to this island. But a storm of persecution is about to break on the seven churches that are so dear to the apostles' heart, listed in chapter 2, verse uh, 10. These churches, to these churches, Revelation, this story, this book, provides a powerful hope to those churches. And so let me give you my big idea right now, okay? This is the big idea of, of, of the whole book of Revelation, all right? Here, so here it is. God is in sovereign control of all of the events in human history, even when evil seems pervasive and when wicked men are powerful. Their ultimate doom is certain. The short version of this is, no matter what's going on on earth, no matter how evil it is, Jesus Christ is in absolute control. Now here's the thing that's beautiful. To understand Revelation, you just have to understand this very simply. And that is there are two basic scenes. You always want to ask yourself the question when you're reading Revelation, okay, where am I now? Where am I now? Where are we now? When we're reading the book, where are we? And there are really only two places to be. One of those places is on earth. So in other words, Revelation often describes things that are happening or that are going to happen on earth. And then the other place is heaven, or maybe kind of a better way to say that, when you look at the literature of the Revelation, it's this, the throne room of God. The throne room of God. There is a place, the center of the universe, according to the Bible, where God dwells, in the inexpressible holiness, and he sits on a throne, and the throne is the, the, the throne room of God. So what you have in Revelation is you have a book, and, and, and if you look in chapter 1 and verse 19, you have a bit of, uh, of, a, uh, of an outline of the book. He, Jesus says to John, write therefore the things that you have seen, that's the first point of the outline, and those that are, that's the second point, and those that are to take place after this. He says, write down, here's what I want you to write down. Write down the things you've seen. Write down what's happening now. Write, now, write down the things that are going to take place later. And, and he actually, that's exactly what the apostle John does. That's kind of a, an outline. So again, you ask yourself the question, where am I now? Some places in Revelation, it's obviously that you, the camera angle is on the throne room of God. And then the other places, obviously not in heaven, but the camera, if you will, or the narrative or the description is what's going on on the earth. And in particular, like in chapter 6 through 18 or chapter 6 through 19, it's a specific period of time, a seven-year period of time, when amazing chaos is happening on the earth. And so this is the letter, this is the message that Jesus who walks among the candlesticks, meaning among the churches. Jesus is concerned with churches. He pays attention to churches. He listens to the prayers of churches. He watches the persecution of churches. He pays attention if they listen to the message that Jesus gave to them. He wants them to be, he wants them to live up to his standard. So Jesus is walking among the churches, and he has a message for the churches. And Jesus is walking among us, and he has a message for us. And he wants to know if this church is truly a Jesus church, 
a church that pleases him, a church that believes in holiness of life, a church that believes in the Bible, a church that believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's walking among the churches. He sees if our love is true. He's walking among the churches. He's paying attention if our heart is cold or if our heart is warm. That's Jesus. He's walking among the churches. He's giving a message to the church. And so God is in sovereign control is the message of the book because every time you look in heaven, there's a throne and Jesus is on the throne and it's a beautiful thing and the angels are singing and the four and 20 elders are bowing down and they're worshiping him and there's order and there's beauty and he's in charge and he's in control and he's worthy and he's a slain lamb and he's on the throne. And then when you go to the earth, it's chaos. You go to the earth, it's demonic. You go to the earth, it's sad, it's sorry. It's pitiful. It's judgment. And the other thing that you see very clearly in the study of Revelation, Revelation is just saying the reality about the world is not just what you see. The reality about the world is an unseen spiritual warfare that's going on all the time, and it will continue to go on until Jesus Christ returns. We live in a time of genuine, real, spiritual warfare. Those are the things to remember. So let's go through here as, as we do this. Let's go through chapter 1. It's an introduction of the vision to show his servants the things which happen shortly or swiftly. And by the way, you look at that, and we'll explain that in a few weeks more as we get into the book. What we have here today is an introduction to the introduction. And, and so it's just a, a kind of like this is all of Revelation, and then we actually begin another introduction you know, next week. So we're just going to kind of take our time, and, and we're going to explain the whole book and just enjoy it. And the main thing that's going to happen as we study in Revelation is what you're going to see is it just paints these, the most gorgeous pictures of Jesus in the whole Bible. So how many of you today would like to say that you love Jesus? Raise your hand if you love Jesus. Amen. I like that. Yeah. Doesn't that do something warm in your heart when you do that? You say, I'm, I'm in. And, and you would suffer for him? Yeah. And you're going to follow him no matter what. Whatever he asks of you, you're going to do. Wherever he sends you, you're going to go. Right? You love Jesus. Okay, if you love Jesus, you are totally going to love this book. Because it just explodes in these gorgeous pictures of who Jesus is. And that's going to be good for us. So we are not going to teach our way through this book. We're not going to talk our way through this book. We're not going to storytell our way through this book. We are going to worship our way through this book. And so week after week, we're just going to get on our face and worship a little bit more about Jesus. And so there's a promise of blessing. There's a sevenfold promise of blessing. But the book begins and ends with blessing. Um, in chapter 1 and verse 1, to show his servants things which must uh, happen shortly or swiftly take place. And when it says that, you know, the idea that we get is like, okay, this is going to happen immediately. And that's not exactly what the scripture is teaching there. But that the idea is when this starts to happen, it'll happen in an, a quick, unbroken chain of events. And it will happen, you know, the last seven years of our life has passed by pretty quickly, hasn't it? Especially all of us that are a little bit older, the last seven years, well, if there's all kinds of chaos going on, it's going to go, oh my word, this is just going to be, boom, that's what's going to happen, right? That's what he's saying. Revelation 1.3 says there's a blessing. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what's written. Did you get that? This is the Bible. This is God's word. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is, the, this is the last book of the Bible, and God, Jesus is talking in it, and he's promising a blessing to those of us who do what? Read aloud the words of this prophecy. We are going to do a lot of that. And blessed are those who hear, and then, and then always those who what? I'm looking at, at Bob Casement. Bob, you, you told me that, I think you and Evan drove. Was it you and Evan? 
You were, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, tell me the rest of the story and I can confirm. And listen to the revelation a bunch, right? Yeah, was it Evan? Yeah. Anyway, so, um, so they, they, they took this, this seriously. And that explains why Evan is such a sharp guy. He's, he's, this blessing's on that kid. Um, they listened to revelation aloud over and over again, right, as they were driving. And so parts of it just would, would come out of them. I mean, that's a great idea. You, you cannot not love Jesus and, and, re, and listen to that and not have, the, have a blessing. I, I read it out loud. It doesn't take that long. And it's awesome, fascinating reading. And you get to the end, and the, the blessing is repeated in chapter 22 and verse 7. And behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Do you want the blessing of God? Then read this, read it out loud, and and keep the words. John is writing a book that's going to be circulated among the seven churches of Asia Minor, or modern Turkey. There were seven churches. We have this whole Muslim conflict in the world today. Right? It's like make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Do you realize what happened is that the churches that are addressed in this letter are in the actual crosshairs of the radical Muslim world right now? This is extremely germane, extremely relevant to what we're going through. And we'll talk about that. How should Christians respond to the the Muslim threat, the Muslim faith? So John has written to these churches, and there were seven, listed in chapters 2 and 3, real churches. All of them existed in the first century, founded as a result of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, and fanned out from there. And our, our first our teaching in Revelation is to be broken into series of messages. So the first series of messages is letters to the churches. And this will go from now until uh, December, early December. Uh, actually, then we'll have a little series on the throne room, chapters 4 and 5. And then after our Christmas preaching, first of the year, we go back in and we jump into the chapter 6, describing the tribulation, goes through chapter 18. And then the, the, the and so forth. So that, that's kind of what we're going to do. We're just going to go right through this book. It'll be an enriching thing. So John's been exiled to the island of Patmos in the Aegean Sea, not far from Ephesus, because of his testimony, because of his preaching. And on the Lord's Day, probably Sunday, he's privileged to have a series of visions, and he's given a message from the Lord for the churches. It's vision of Jesus among the, the, the candle stands or the lamp stands, symbols for the churches. That's stated in chapter 1 and verse 20. Verse 19 again says, write these things which you've seen, things which are, things which are to come. So that's the outline of the book. So in chapter, chapter 1, you have that introduction, and it's, it's sweet to read, and I recommend this afternoon, it would be wonderful reading, just to see even, well, let's just read a little bit, chapter, 12, look, chapter 1, verse 12. Look at the description here. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstand, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. Hairs of his head were white like wool, white as snow, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, voice like a roar of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like a sun shining in full strength. Oh, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet like I was dead. <laughs> Just a little reading in Revelation today. This is, would you suggest that that was describing something like you've never seen before? <laughs> so in chapter 1, chapters 2 and 3 have a seven-part message of the seven churches. Ephesus is orthodox but cold, and she's left her first love. And he says, repent, Smyrna is persecuted. The message to Smyrna, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11 is repent. 
Pergamos, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. This church is worldly. Jesus says, repent to the church. He says, repent to all the churches but one. And then there's Thyatira, their tolerance. He says to them, can you guess? Repent. Um, Sardis is dead. He says, repent. Philadelphia is faithful. He doesn't need to tell them to repent. And Laodicea is lukewarm. Chances are, if Jesus was talking to Evangel today, I think it's a great church. I see genuine faith here. Chances are, he would say, what do you think? I think it'd be good, a good, safe place to start with, okay, Jesus, we love you. We're going to start by repenting. We repent. Uh, anything out of order. So understand, think about this. What would characterize our church if Jesus had a message for Evangel? What would Jesus moving among the lampstand of our church say to its pastor? Oh, that's interesting. What has he said to its pastor? Do you listen to the message of the pastor and regard it? That's interesting, isn't it? Chapter 4, the scene is in heaven now. And the scene keeps switching forth, back and forth like a movie from earth to heaven. Earth is chaos, heaven is worship, and as the vision unfolds, we see that the scene on earth is really different than the scene in heaven. He, he was in the spirit. He saw a set throne, a permanent throne, chapter 4 and verse 2. The one on the throne had an amazing appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne. The church in chapter 3 is where? It's on earth. Or is it in heaven or is it on earth? In chapter 2 and 3, where is the church? Is it in, in heaven or on earth? It's on earth, right. The, the church is on earth. That's interesting. And if you study the symbols carefully, you'll see that in chapter 4, it appears like the church is not on earth anymore, but it's in heaven. The scene in heaven is one clearly of worship. Come up here and I will show you the things which much must take place after that. There is a throne in heaven. There are 24 elders there around that throne. I believe that represent the church. They've been given crowns. That happens to the church on their judgment day, the Bema judgment, when they, after the rapture. You are worthy, O Lord. They, the one who sits on the throne, they, say, they sing and worship him, and they say to him, you're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. You created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. What you're going to see in Revelation is so interesting is that when you listen to the angel songs about the one who's on the lamb, when you listen to the saints' songs about the one who's on the throne, what you notice is they, they praise him for different things. They start out praising him. We praise you. You're worthy. You created all things. Everything that was made was made for you, God. Later on, you're the lamb that was slain. You died and you shed your blood. And then later on, king of kings, lord of lords. They just never run out of things to praise him for. This is the proper orientation of the human heart. This is where it's going to end someday. This is where you want to calibrate your heart right now today so that you are thrilled with Jesus, so that he's everything to you. Nothing is more important to you than Jesus and, the, and Jesus' plan in this world and Jesus' plan in your heart. That's what ought to make you, you know, like more excited than anything else in the world because we have a vision of the future and in the future there's a throne room and there's a throne and on the throne is God, is Jesus. So the raptured, rewarded, redeemed, worship the one who has a permanent throne in heaven, chapter 4. Chapter 5, not doing justice to this yet, chapter 5, the worship pauses. There's a dilemma in heaven. 
There's a scroll. It's sealed seven times. There's a problem in chapter 5. It's interesting. And, and, and so John, when he sees it, it affects him. He starts to cry. He said, whatever he sees, he starts to weep. Are you, what, are you, what makes you cry? Uh, Chuck, you remember when we used to go watch races and they would end? And I would be watching perfectly, uh, total strangers. I'd be sitting there on my bike watching a total stranger trying to finish a 10K or a 5K or, or a half marathon. And I would find myself with just tears running down my face, watching just that human effort. John is looking at the throne room of heaven, and there is this scroll. And the idea, symbolically, of the scroll is like it's the inheritance, the title deed to the earth. It's like what's going to happen as the earth unfolds, and who's in charge, and who's in control, and who has the authority to open up this scroll, and nobody has the authority. They're looking around. Does anybody on earth have authority to open this scroll? Like nobody on earth has the authority. Anybody under the the earth. Nobody under the earth has the authority to open this scroll. This is sad. This scroll needs to be opened. What's going to happen when the, the history of the earth unfolds? Who's, who's going to inherit the earth? Is there anybody in heaven that has the authority to open this scroll? Nobody in heaven, nobody in heaven or on earth or under the earth has the authority to open this scroll. Oh, wait, wait. There's one. This is chapter 5. It's really cool to read. And so here it says, And I begin to weep loudly, verse 4, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. You get it? It's just symbolic to say there's only one. You understand, on earth at this time, there's a Caesar Domitian who says, Worship me. He basically says, Worship the imperial family. He wants them to use this unique verbiage. He wants them to say, You are, you know what he's asking for them to say? Can you guess? You, he wants them to say, You are worthy. And so it's kind of in your face. This book is God in your face. He's saying there's only one who's worthy in all of the earth or under the earth or above the earth. There's only one worthy. He's the one who shed his blood. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He's conquered and he can open the seven seals. That's kind of cool. The golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Pay attention. Sometimes we say this, you know, you ever been in pain and you cry out and you say, God, please help me. And he, he doesn't. Right? Or save my loved one. And, and he doesn't. Or it's like, can you hear me, God? I'm asking you something. It seems to me like it would be your will. Can you please do this for me? I'll serve you if you do this for me. I'll. And then you're just like, what? Why didn't, he, why didn't he answer that? Listen, he cherishes the prayers of the saints. This is the symbolism here, like he puts them in a golden bowl and he pours them out before the throne of God. They aren't just to get what you want, but they are to worship God. Listen, sister, brother, I know you have troubles. I know you have a wayward kid. I know that you have a, a broken heart. I know that maybe things haven't worked out the way you wish. And it seems like sometimes you just pray and nothing happens. Like something's happening in heaven. When you pray, your worship is going up like incense before God. Your prayers are captured and put in golden bowls. God is honored by your prayers. That's good enough, right? When someday we get to heaven, he will silence all of our objections about the efficacy of prayer, about the effectiveness of prayer. Keep praying, church. Keep praying. Chapter 5. Wow, this is great stuff, isn't it? Chapter 6 now is different, though. Chapter 4, chapter 5 are where? They were in heaven, right. But chapter 6 is going to change. And now you're going to see different things. In, six, uh, the six, uh, the, in chapter 6, the seven seals begin to 
unroll. Each seal that breaks open reveals something more that's going to happen on the earth. It's how the, how the literature works. And there's a clear parallel between these things that are going to come up on the earth that God is going to send on the earth. It, there's a clear parallel if you read this passage and then you read the, what we call the Olivet Discourse or the teaching of Jesus that's recorded in Matthew chapter 24. There's a clear parallel between the two of them. It's the same thing that's unfolding. This, the first seal is a false peace. The second seal is war. The third seal, famine. My point is just simply this for now. And it, and it makes the point. God is in sovereign control because he's on his throne in heaven, even when chaos is on the earth. God is in sovereign control, and it's beautiful and orderly and eternal, even when your heart is a boiling turmoil of heartache. Isn't it great to be a believer in Jesus Christ? He's got his hand on the controls of everything. That's Jesus Christ. I'm excited about him today. Yes, yes, sir. And so there you have chapter 6. We could read beautiful What's interesting, there's something in chapter 6 I want to point out before we move on. I just read tons of these passages. But, again, when you read through Revelation, watch for this. Again, the people are under this persecution. And this is the context in the, in the original audience is feeling this growing persecution. Are you feeling it in America today? Are you feeling it? You say, well, how many of you would have signed the, the, the marriage certificate in Kentucky? How many of you would have? I would have signed it. You don't want to say in church. How many of you say I wouldn't have signed it? How many of you aren't sure, don't want to vote in church? How many of you hate it when pastors make you vote in church? Yeah. But didn't you think that this week? You're thinking, should I? You know, it was my job. Should I? You know, I'm like, you know, here's what I'll tell you this. It's going to come a time soon when you're going to have to draw a line somewhere. You may have drawn it don't where she drew it, right? Where that sister drew it. You may not. But I'm just telling you, I think they're coming for us. <laughs> I think there are going to be people who are going to say, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to make you pay. It's going to happen. I promise you that. This book is saying that. Okay, so when these people are under this persecution, and they are under full-scale persecution, it's starting to grow, and it's going to get unbelievable chaotic persecution, he's, he says something to them to encourage them, talking in verse chapter 6 and verse 15, the kings of the earth and the great ones and generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in caves, among the rocks and the mountains, calling the mountains and rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That's an interesting passage right there, isn't it? In other words, you may be a leader, a ruler, and you may be persecuting other people, but one day, if you don't submit to this king, the one who sits on the throne, you're going to ask the mountains to fall upon you and save you from the wrath of that lamb. This is the New Testament message. So from chapter 6 through chapter 19, you really have a description of what we call the Great Tribulation. And without going through it in, in detail today, because of I want to be courteous with your use of time, we'll, we'll live to play another day. We'll come back to this room, Lord willing, if Jesus doesn't return first, and we'll over and over again open up our Bibles and we'll read this passage. Can I ask you, church, to pray your way through this book, to read through this book, to approach this book together as a church. As a church, let's be an obedient Jesus church that says, hey, we're not looking around to see what other churches are doing. That's not a main thing. No, that's not our main thing. That's great to know what our sisters are doing. We're not looking around to see what the world says about us. That's not our main thing. We have our people that have our eyes on the throne room. And we're like, Jesus, is this what you wanted? That's going to be the key thing for your family. That's going to be the key thing for your marriage. Jesus, tell me, is, am I pleasing you? Can I ask you, is that the way it is in your life? 
Do you get up every morning and say, Jesus, all I want to do today is whatever you want me to do. I want to please you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to be loving to you. I want to be loyal to you. I am your humble servant. I know there's a throne in heaven and you're on it. And no matter what kind of chaos is on earth or in my heart, I'm going to follow you. So you go all the way through chapter 18 and you've got this scene going back and forth from heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. Heaven is orderly. Heaven is beautiful. Jesus is on the throne. People are worshiping him. He's worthy. Earth is chaos. Demonic hordes are breaking loose. Horrifying things are happening. And then something unusual happens in chapter 19. We have a scene in heaven again. And the scene in heaven, it looks like they're getting ready for a celebration of some kind. And there's some, it's almost like they're getting ready for a wedding celebration. CC, are you paying any attention to me today? Girls' minds drift in church sometimes. Yeah, so they're getting ready for a wedding. You've been thinking about that. Yeah, that's the way brides are. That's all they think about. You know, I think I'll do it this way, and I'll have that flower, and these pictures of my little nephew over here, right? And so it is. They're up there in heaven, and they're saying, there's a, there's a, they're getting ready for the absolute wedding of all weddings. And in the middle of chapter 19, something happens that never happened before. Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord Sabaoth, the, the, the military leader of all the military hosts of heaven, gets on his horse and he rides to earth with millions of his saints and angels to take over. Yeah, that guy, seriously, that's like the good part right there. Did I say something wrong there? Did I like not make that exciting enough? Jesus is coming back and he's going to take over everything. Woo, yay for Jesus. I love him. Go ahead, Jesus, take over. Because I'm totally excited about you. I don't have plans. I'm like, you're, I, you're my plan. Jesus, you're my whole plan. You're everything. You're everything I value. You're everything I love. You're everything I live for. You're everything I care about. My old body's wearing out. It's not going to last forever. I can feel it coming. I know it's going to happen. This nation that we live in, this wonderful God-blessed, God-kissed nation is going down in judgment of God. Jesus Christ is all that matters. He's coming back. Are you living for him? Are you forsaking sin? Have you gotten on your knees and prayed? Do you love God's word? Are you a Bible Christian? Do you really know him? Do you really love him? Is he really worthy to you? That's what this book is about. I just explained Revelation. In the end, he comes back. There's going to be a time of a thousand-year reign where he keeps his promise to Israel, and he sits on the throne, and then heaven literally comes to earth. Heaven and earth are together. He renews the earth with fire. And then you have an eternal state that's described in Revelation chapter 22, chapter 21, chapter 22. That's it. I just described the whole thing. Simply put, what is, how can I explain Revelation? Simply put, Revelation is a book that describes how God is on the throne in heaven and he's an absolute perfect sovereign control of everything, even when Everything evil is breaking loose on earth. And the worst kind of persecution is on the evening news every night. One day Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to take over everything and he's going to rule. And he's going to turn the whole earth and heaven into one great temple for his glory. You want to be on the right side when that happens. And you want to be on the right side right now. That ought to be enough to inspire you to go out and serve him. I had a fellow, his name was Darren you remember Darren Morton, Darren and Wendy? Darren was a guy I, I had the privilege of leading to the Lord years ago. And he, he, he was just always in trouble. He had problems. You know, he, he loved his mom and dad. 
His, his dad and mom got upset with him because of co- some convictions that he had. He started to get really fired up about the Lord. And when he did that, he wasn't going to be involved in some of the organizations that his parents wanted him to be involved in. And they came and talked to me about it. They weren't very happy with me at all. His mom was really not happy with me. His dad didn't understand why in the world would I discourage his son from being involved in this organization that his family had always been involved in. And uh, so what happened was... Uh, that his dad, Darren's dad, went to a church in Westerville, Ohio, because he thought I was weird. And I'm like, why would that pastor discourage my son from being involved in this organization? He went to that church, and he went to the pastor, and he says, why would a pastor be discouraging my son from being involved in this organization? And the pastor, instead of arguing with him about that organization, he gave him the gospel. And Darren's dad, he got saved. So now, Darren's mom still hates my guts, right? But I... But, and I, I forgot about that, and she had some trouble. Darren was requesting prayer for his mom. He said, you know, can you, can you pray for my mom? She's in Columbus in a, uh, an institution because she's so trouble in her mind. I said, well, I can, I can pray, but why don't I pray on the way to go in and see her? He goes, would you go see her? Absolutely. I don't know if they'll let you in. I'm a pastor. They'll probably let me in. So I drive to Columbus, and God let me forget that she hated my guts. I just forgot it. it. It just, for some reason, it occurred to me. I just praying for her. And then when I got there, and they showed me to her room, there she was. She looked at me, and she said, oh, pastor, thank you so much for coming and seeing me. I needed to talk to a pastor really bad. Well, it was a long conversation that afternoon, but here's how it ended. She and I kneeling down by her bed, and her praying the most humble, sweet prayer of repentance, just asking Jesus to be her Savior. And not long after that, she died, and she went to a place where there is no ill health mentally or physically. She went to a place where no one challenges the authority of Jesus Christ. And a couple years ago, I was following Darren's Facebook, and he said, my dad was in a motorcycle accident today, and he went to heaven. And I thought, now Darren's mom and dad are in a place where nobody gets sick anymore, and nobody sins, and nobody dies, and nobody abuses children and nobody doesn't get it that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I bet you want to sing a song before you go home, don't you? You're the song-singing people. So I'll hobble over here, and, uh, and, and, I, and I want you, would you do this? Have, have I preached my heart out today? Yes. Will you sing your heart out? Let's stand and sing your heart out to the Lord Jesus today in this worthy lamb that we've been talking about.